Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. Well, good morning. How's everybody? It's a little, it's a little boomy, so if you're the sound person, you might push knobs one direction or another. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure which one to do. So we're, we're actually going to look at a couple of different passages in the book of Galatians this morning. We're going to camp out in Galatians 6, but I wanted our, our reader this morning to start us with Galatians 2.20 because it's such a, a profoundly clear picture of Paul's experience and then the theology then that kind of bursts forth from his experience in meeting the risen Lord and then submitting his life in obedience to Christ. And so he ends up in this incredible statement that says, Jesus gave himself for me. Isn't that an incredible thing to think? It's an incredible thing to to tie together this guy who, and Paul, who had started out on a journey doing all that he could to stop people from proclaiming the name of the Lord and to thwart the expansion and growth of the church, he makes this 180 degree turn by the movement of the Spirit of God and comes to that expression of faith, that this is who Jesus is to me. So we're going to look in the book of Galatians in chapter 6. I'm going to camp there, but we'll we'll run back to Galatians 2.20 in just a minute. Um, but I, I want to start by, by, by telling you a story. When I was in, um, when I was in high school, uh, I had this coach, and um, he... Uh, he was a really effective uh, motivator of students to do stuff that helped him. So he was all the time conning us into helping him with stuff. And he had to move a bunch of stuff one day. And man, he just had a whole bunch of us just wound up like this is, this is truly the greatest thing we've ever done. We're going to load up a U-Haul with a bunch of stuff. And I mean, this guy, he was just effective. He was an effective motivator. But um, you don't always know how things are going to turn out. And so it's getting dark and me and my buddy, we're taking this trampoline apart that belonged to his kid and 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 we get the net off and we pulled the legs off and we get the hoop apart and you know how those hoops they just kind of go together and if if they stay together any length of time they are hard to get apart especially if you just got your hands so like the dummy i am i get it in half okay so it's a you know so it's a big circle so now we got a half circle and then that half circle's got a joint right in the middle and i put my foot on one side of the joint and i start trying to crank it and i can't get it go you know and it's late and we've the motivation's running out just to be honest we're all getting tired and i just get irritated and i throw it like this i just throw it grab i've got a hold of it and i just toss it and i turn to walk away and you can tell what happens when you throw one end of a half circle the other end comes back at you right right you see what i'm talking about so i got marked that night i got marked out as the mover of trampolines and it, I mean, it really, it, it got my throat, like right here. It got me. That didn't like, kill me or nothing. I'm still alive. We don't have any. Re- There's no resurrection story in this. That part would, that would, if I told it that way, it'd be more exciting. But it, it, it was just terrible. So like, I'm frustrated. It's not going very good. We're all tired. I'm tired. I throw this in. I turn to walk away. The other end comes back and hits me, and it's sharp and it gets my neck real bad. So I'm bleeding, I'm hollering. My, my buddy comes over to help me. 
He didn't help me at all. He gets his fingers on both sides and starts doing this. And blood's just shooting out. And I'm, you know, 16 years old, and I don't I can't see what's happening to me, right? I just know I've got blood shooting out my neck. I don't know if I'm about to die. And he hollers at the coach, and the coach comes out. He's like, oh, you're fine. And he, like, puts the paper towel on it, and he's like, let's finish loading. <laughs> and, and there was no – so I've got a big mark right there on my neck. And there's no – we didn't get any stitches. We didn't have butterfly bandits. Because, again, the priority here is get this guy's stuff loaded. But that experience marked me. And true to this day, like, you can see there's a big – about an inch-long mark on my neck from my encounter with a trampoline ring. All due to my own foolishness. But that's not the kind of mark that we're really interested in talking about today. I want to read a text to you that I hope lands right on your heart. I hope hope you feel the weight of this as Paul writes this to the church. So we're in Galatians 6, 12 through 18. I think it'll be up on the screen. He says, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh, they're trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts then is the new creation. So peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. Verse verse 17 is the key here. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. So that's how Paul is wrapping up this letter he's written to this church. And as, as as it hits this crescendo... Where he's, and he's repeating a thing that he's already said before, earlier in the letter. He, he just lands that line. For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I truly believe certain kinds of experiences mark us outwardly and they mark us inwardly. If you've ever worked much with your hands, you probably got the scars to show it, Right. Um, periodically I'll tell my kids stories about stuff I did that were stupid um, where I got my finger cut or got something happened here or something happened there and this scar, that scar, the other kind of scar um, and those are all marks and they're, they're memories and they, man they were great lessons if you survive them man they're wonderful right you, you know not to do that ever again you know you should never hold a grinder above your head right that's a bad plan because what happens when it slips oh boy it doesn't turn off. It just keeps grinding away all the way to the floor, you know. So we have these experiences that, that leave a mark on us like my trampoline did. But I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. I don't think he's talking about marks that come from foolishness. He's talking about the marks, the physical marks in his life that are symbolically representative of the spiritual marks that existed in his heart and in his soul in the transformation that came from hearing the word of the Lord to him to stop persecuting the church and to be crucified to the world and the world to Him and to follow the Lord Jesus. So it's not a new thing to mark ourselves out, right? When you look at the Old Testament, you've got two big markers, right, in the Old Testament that kind of shape up who the people are. And Paul's talking about one of them here. 
So circumcision was the way that they marked out who the people of Israel would be. And it, it was a sign that, that the, 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 the children, the boy children, would receive a few days after their birth. It was symbolic for the whole people. It was a way of saying who is inside the covenant and who is outside the covenant. And, and it was a physical marker. But there was also a spiritual marker that, that was used all through the Old Testament by God's command to define the regular practice of who is, who are then the people of God. And that, that would have been the Passover, right? Which was this really important symbol of a real thing that had happened in the deliverance of God's people out of Egypt. And so they would have this feast every year. And Jesus takes that feast in the new covenant and he turns it. And instead of it pointing backwards to an event in the past, he points it back at himself. And so in the New Testament, we have two markers, right? You've celebrated them here in this church. We've, we baptize people as a sign and a symbol of their participation in the life of God through Christ. And we say, that is your identifying marker. In the Old Testament, circumcision was the identifying marker. In the New Testament, we're saying baptism is this way that you're marked out. You, you're saying that you belong to Jesus. You're, you're dying with Him in this picture. You're being raised with Him, and then you're walking with Him. But we also have this second picture, right? Where we gather together in the name of the Lord at a table that He prepares, symbolically, right? And we take the body and the blood of Christ in the bread and the wine. Well, we know that's not real, but it is. It's real in our, in our hearts, right? It's a, it's a symbol that marks out and defines for us who's in and who's out. Paul's doing that in this text. Let me give you a little background on the book of Galatians. Book of Galatians, you should read it. It's short read. Start at chapter 1, be at chapter 6 in just a, a matter of minutes. Unless I'm, then it would take you to watch like a Netflix episode, you could read the whole book of Galatians. It's actually really short. And interestingly enough, he doesn't introduce lots of new material. He recycles a number of the themes throughout the letter because it's, they're big to him. And he's trying to get his point across. One of the big points that he picks up throughout the letter that he talks about here is this, this reality that in the bridge between the old covenant and the new covenant, we're having some confusion among those who follow Jesus as to who's in and who's out and what does it mean to be walking with the Lord? What does it mean to be righteous? And so Paul is this, this great missionary apostle to a Gentile world that did not practice or participate in those old covenant markers. But he just preaching Jesus to them, right? And then they're being baptized in the name of the Lord and then they're participating in the meal that Jesus gives us in his body and blood as they gather for worship. But there's a whole group of Jewish believers who are Christians that say, but what about the old ways? And he's like, hey, there's nothing wrong with the old ways, but there's something that's new here now and we want to be defined by what's new. And so you have this tug of war in this early generation of the church. Really, it happened in this, just this first generation where some would say, we want Jesus, but these old ways are important too. So if you want to come in, we want you to 
We want you to know Jesus, but we want you to be circumcised or we want you to be like we were. And Paul struggles with that. And he struggles with this church with that. And, and, he, and he's trying to correct that thinking because he clearly understands that we're never adding anything to Jesus as a means of our participation with Jesus. That we are saved by His grace extended to us and our faith expressed back in that grace in His work, in His person. And that then is the totality of our participation with God. And then from that, we walk. From that, we live. From that, we have our very being in the person of Christ. Paul understood that. But he's struggling with some folks who are having a hard time with that. And and to be fair, that's honest. We struggle with things too. We don't always get it right. Which is why we help one another. We teach. We preach. We talk. We have conversations. And this letter here is pretty strong. If you go back and read it, had you been a Galatian church member, you'd have been like, well, what made Paul so dang mad? Why is he calling us all a bunch of fools? Because he calls them all a bunch of fools early in the letter. And it's because he thought it was a big deal. He said, you can't confuse the markers as the means. You can't confuse them. The markers are important, but they are only an indicator of the inward thing that has happened. Does that make sense? You can't get them confused. I think Jesus saw this maybe more clearly than anybody. I want to tell you, I want to, I want to highlight for you three groups of people or three interactions Jesus had in the New Testament. We're not going to read the whole text. I'm just going to tell you the stories briefly. But I, I think Jesus is going to look at my life and I think he's going to look at your life and he's going to ask us in some profound ways what marks us out as his. What identifies in each one of us the reality that we belong to him? What evidence then is there That, that we follow Him. It's pretty clear what the evidence is that I dropped a grinder above my head one day. And it's pretty clear that what happens when you spin a half trampoline hoop around. Because I've got the marks in my body to show it. And I have the evidences of my foolishness. Right? But when Jesus is speaking to us, He's talking about fundamental heart issues. So there was a story where a, a very wealthy young man came to Jesus who was all set up to be a leader. He is primed by his family to be a ruler. Some, some, uh, some New Testament uh, versions of the Scriptures will even put a heading and they'll call the story the rich young ruler. And he asked Jesus a good question. What do I need to do to receive eternal life? Teacher. And Jesus has this interaction with him where they go back and forth and he says, well, what does the law say? And then he, he repeats basically the the parts of the law that he thought he had kept. And he says, I've done it all since I was a youth, since I was young. I've always followed the Word of God. So so what should I do then, Jesus? And Jesus tells him something. He's just pointed. Okay, well, sell everything you have, come follow me. Breaks go on. I'm not not interested in that, Jesus. I'm not going to be marked out by a kind of faith that actually centers you in my life. I'm not going to do that. So that's a, that's a sad story in the New Testament. A lot of the interactions in the New Testament are really great interactions, right? 
We have, we have Jesus doing incredible things, but not all of them went well. Sometimes he interacted with people and they weren't having any of it. Just true. They weren't having any of it. There's another time where, where Jesus meets this lady at a well. She's there at an odd time of day on purpose, uh, we think, because she's trying to avoid the rest of the group of people she might have gone to the well with in kind of a social way, you know. Um, I don't know if you've ever tried to go to United between about 4.45 and about, about 5.45 in Woodward. But you'll see all your friends there because that's when everybody stops on the way out of work to go by and pick up a few groceries. And, and, but you, you, you go at you know 1.30 in the afternoon, there's hardly anybody at the grocery store. It's a great time if you have time to go at 1.30. Almost nobody there. But if you go at a certain time, you'll see everybody, right? Well, that's what that was true then. If you go collect water at a particular time, this lady's going to see all these other ladies whose job it is to collect water, and she was avoiding them because there were some pretty significant moral issues in her life that she didn't want to interact with others. But she meets Jesus, and they have this interaction where Jesus says some things to her. They're just amazing about that really she should be asking him for living water that would actually do the work of nourishing her soul. And she's like, well, you don't have anything to draw water with. How are you going to do that? Like what? You know, so they're, they're really talking past each other, right? And when they get right down to it, Jesus says something to her. He says, those who worship God worship in spirit and in truth. And you know what happened that day? She became an evangelist. She goes to the village and she says, you got to come see this guy who told me everything about my life. So she was marked out as being someone who isolated herself because of her own moral failings from others to being someone who would proclaim the word of the Lord to others in her zeal and excitement for God. There was an, there was an encounter that marked her. You know, I think about a third guy, a guy named Nicodemus. You're probably familiar with his story if you've read the book of John. The most, probably the most famous verse in all of the New Testament is John chapter 3, verse 16. Right? You, you may have heard that. You've certainly seen it held up on a sign behind someone kicking a field goal on an NFL football game. You know, that's someone's effort to, I want you to know the word of the Lord. Maybe you, you saw Tim Tebow write 316 under his eyes when he was playing football. It's, a, it's just a really famous verse because it synthesizes so much of what God has done for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, right? Well, that story, that verse is a part of a broader story where a man named Nicodemus came at night to see Jesus. He was a Pharisee, a leader of His people, widely respected. And he did not want to be seen associating with Jesus. But he was very interested in what Jesus had to say. And they had this encounter. And in that encounter, Jesus utters the... Like he drops the big bomb. Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus again is confused. They're a little bit talking past each other. But, but he drops this heavy, heavy statement in Nicodemus' life. That if Nicodemus by faith believes it and responds to it, it will mark him out in such a way that everything will be different after. Nicodemus is an interesting story. You can see kind of how we're working this out, right? We got a guy who the story ended poorly. We got a lady who the story ended really well. Nicodemus, it's inconclusive at first. We don't know what happens. But a little bit later in the book of John, we see Jesus is being questioned pretty hard by some guys. And then that question kind of reverts back to a group of leaders. And Nicodemus is in the mix. And he's not full on on Jesus' side, but he's definitely not against him. 
But you know what happens by the time we get to the end of the book of John? Guess who's there at the end of Jesus' life? Bringing the necessary Jewish customary accoutrements to properly care for the body of Jesus, the dead body of Jesus. He doesn't understand resurrection. He hasn't experienced it yet. He just knows that his Lord was crucified and now it is time to be publicly identified with those who follow Jesus. And so this leader who early came at night now is in the daylight coming to care for the body of Jesus with spices. Nicodemus was marked by the Lord. His encounter with Jesus changed him. So I have a question for you this morning as we think about our faith, as we think about the gospel story as it's revealed to us. Paul says it. He says, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus Christ. So if we, if we trace that back, I think Paul is purposing to use language. He's done it all through the book of Galatians that point to death and life. I think Paul's pointing at a crucified life. I mean, he said it right here. He said, may I never boast except in the cross of Jesus. Our reader read it for us. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But it's not really me living. It's Him living through me. I would ask you today, what thing has the Lord put in front of you that marks you? That, that singles you? That identifies you? That causes you to say, at this point, I was not walking with Jesus. And at this point, I heard His Word and I changed. And I began to obey Him. And it actually then produced a fruit in my life of, of differentiation between me and others. And, and I wasn't the same after that. that. That Word that I heard from Him made all the difference. And now you can see it. In me. You can see it marked out in me. Can I give you three areas to think about? Maybe four. I think about the idea of our heart. When the, when the New Testament, when the Scriptures talk about our heart, it's talking about the seat of emotions. It's talking about the, the heart and the soul are very closely connected in New Testament thought. It's that, it's that seat of emotions. It's that part of you that is most easily pushed or swayed by your experiences, by your encounters, right? Our logic can keep us out of a lot of trouble. But if we're not careful, the emotional elements of us can get us into all kinds of nonsense, right? Whoo, I wish I wouldn't have said that. If I could put those words back in my mouth, I would. If I could put that toothpaste back in the tube, I wish I could, right? In the seat of emotions, we have reactions that tend to be way out on the front edge of our life and experience. So I think about our heart. And I think about the Scriptures talking about having a circumcised heart. Again, a marker, right? A heart that has been changed. And instead of having a hard heart, now we have a softer, a pliable, or a heart of flesh. Instead of a heart of stone, we have a heart of flesh. We have this, the seed of our emotions now has been changed in such a way that now I'm actually filtering my experiences through the kinds of emotions that Jesus 
calls out from me. Let me, let me give an example. Is it, is it easy to always have compassion for people who are stupid? Can, I just be, can we just be that plain? And, and I know none of you are. It's always the other guys, right? right? It's, it's not us. It's them, right? <laughs> but what's true is the Lord only looks on you with compassion. Only. He sees you through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Think about, think about the beauty of this parallel. His anger is short. A few generations is what the Old Testament says. But his loving kindness is a thousand generations. The point is not math. The point is comparison, right? How long is the loving kindness of God? Well, you will never find the end of it. And I will never find the end of it. It's easy for Jesus to look on the people who were foolish with great compassion. That's what the Scriptures teach us, right? He looked on the crowds with compassion. And then He speaks to us a similar word that we are to have those very kinds of emotions for other people. And you're like, well, hey, that's not natural to me. I get it. I get it. But Jesus is calling you to things. He wants to mark you out in such a way that encounter by encounter, day by day, week by week, month by month, you actually start to look more like His. You, you begin to reflect what he looks like. So we talked about our heart. I, I, want, I want you to also think about your thoughts. What does it mean to live this crucified life? Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. The world has been crucified to me. I've been crucified to the world. I bear in my body the marks of following Jesus. We're talking about a guy who had been radically affected by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wasn't mostly talking about outward things. He was talking about inward realities. Paul says these words. I take every thought captive to Christ. So he's going to filter, not his emotions now. Now we're taking a step behind our emotions, right? Our emotions may be the leading edge of our life oftentimes, but our thinking, our thoughts, our rational, the rational parts of our brain tend to be this part that's a little bit stepped back, but it actually controls so much of what you do. And Paul says... I, I have this built-in check. I think it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. I have this built-in check that God's done to me that I run my thinking back through Jesus. Okay, let, let me say, say it this way. Think about it like you're trying to get something done in work, but you don't know everything. So there's a bunch of incomplete data, but you still have a job to do. What do you do? I've even heard people say this. Hey, I'm going to run that back by so-and-so and then I'll get back to you with the right answer, right? You got to go, you got to take this, run it back by somebody else, then circle back to this. We even use that language, right? I'm going to run it by and I'm going to circle back to you. I'm going to, I'm going to take this, I'm going to go over there with it. I'm going to talk to somebody. At the end of that, I'll come back and we'll know. We'll have the right answer. I think that's a beautiful picture of what Paul's saying. I take every one of my thoughts captive to Jesus. I run it by the Lord. Is this right thinking? And, and honestly, that's easy to mess up. Just be fair. That's easy. A lot of times, I'm not actually running it by the Lord. I'm just rerunning it by myself. That's where we have to be honest with ourselves. That I'm actually letting the Word of God shape me. Letting the way of Jesus impact me in the way He wants to. So we think about our emotions. We think about our thoughts. I want you to think about your actions. The actual things you do daily. Your physical 
actions, the things you participate in. Jesus teaches us new ways to be. He does. Straight up. Once you think about the last interaction Jesus had with his, his main guys before the cross. Remember what he did? What did he physically do? Took off his outer garments, wrapped a towel around him, submitted himself into the position of the servant, and he physically washed the feet of the guy who was about to deny him three times and the guy who was about to betray him and all of the rest of them who were going to head for high ground when it all went south. That's what Jesus did. That's his actions. He, he submits himself to God. He, he grabs his friends and says, go with me to this garden. We got to go pray, guys, because I got this heavy sense that something's coming and the thing that's coming is going to be hard. And he, and he prays drops of blood is what the scriptures teach us, right? Because he's agonizing in his body, his actions, what he does before the Lord to prepare himself to fully surrender himself to this thing that's coming. So we talk about our emotions. We talk about our thoughts. We talk about our actions. I want to add a fourth thing in there that maybe helps put all of those together in a, in a, in a box and helps us think about them. I want you to think about your story. Where have you been? Where are you today? And where does God want to take you in your life? Because if you would have asked Paul a few years before he penned this letter, it was clear. We know where he was. Paul's friend, Luke, tells us these stories in the Acts of the Apostles. We know where he was. And a man named Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the church is what Luke says. That's where he was. But that wasn't the end of his story, was it? No, his story had an entirely different ending in mind because of his encounter with Jesus. And I'll ask you about your story. Your story is in a sense a sum up of all of your heart, your emotions, all of your thoughts, all of your past actions to this point. And, and really it's a, it's a question of, is your life crucified? Have you died to a way of life that is contra to Jesus? And just like baptism pictures for you, this marker pictures for you, you've been raised to a new kind of life that's about following Him. I don't know if you've been marked out in your body by Jesus. You know, I, I know sometimes people go get a cross tattoo or a fish tattoo or this or that. And that, man, that's, that's fine. If somebody wants to do that. I'm not saying yay or nay on that actually. Because to me, the outward signs can be really important reminders of inward realities. But what I'm really interested in is the inner markings in your life. I'm interested in what's happening inside of you, in your emotion, in your heart, that then shapes your actions, but ultimately then that shapes the trajectory of your story. Where are you headed? It was clear what Paul thought. He even says it. He says, verse 15. Galatians 6, verse 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts, ready? What counts is the new creation. 
So if you go back to chapter 2, you find Paul given a sum-up statement. And here he's given the, the final sum-up statement. And they're not in contradiction to each other. They're the same thing. Because what counts then is the question that Jesus posed to Nicodemus. Well, have you been born again? And we're not trying to be weird when we say that. We mean, by faith, does it look like you have started over in the way of Jesus? We're not just trying to add Him in to be good old boys and good old girls. You go to church, you know, that who were doing the Saturday night thing on Saturday night, doing the Sunday morning thing on Sunday morning. We're all just good folk, right? No, no, that's not Paul. That's not what he's saying. That's not, that's not who we're trying to be. That's not the marker that we're talking about here. We're talking about this beautiful reality that the old way is dead and the new way is life. And he says, guys, we're not going to argue anymore about circumcision and uncircumcision. That is not the point. The outward markers that we have established or maybe God established to show us what this looks like, those don't mean anything if they don't represent inward realities. The inward reality we're interested in is new creation. And he says, to each of us, are you? Similar question to Jesus. Have you been born again? Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. We are new creations in Christ. This is a theme that is just running through the heart of Paul's theology. But I want you to see his theology is tied to his experience with the Lord. Paul's not just trying to be a smart guy who's just writing smart guy stuff that we'll all think, man, he's a smart guy. We ought to listen to him. Well, pay that guy to write smart guy stuff now. He's not just trying to do that. He's expressing these life truths that represent the very mercy and loving kindness of God given to you and given to me in Christ. And the hope of new life that we can be different by faith. Jesus can shape us and we begin to be marked out by him. So I'm going to ask you a question now. It's a similar question we asked kind of midway through, but we're just going to return to it. The marker of a follower of Jesus is, there's your, there's your question with the big pause, right? Your marker, markers, the change that Jesus has wrought is, I don't know the answer. You know the answer. If, if you look at me and you say, John, I, I don't think there's a lot of change in me at all. I mean, I go to church, and I mean, I think it's probably true, but I'm still basically the same old person I used to be. I, w- I want you to go think about this. It ought to affect your emotions, it ought to affect your thoughts, it ought to affect your actions. It certainly should culminate in all of those together and it ought to affect the shape of your story the trajectory of your life what you give yourself to it should i'm saying it because it did for paul paul said it jesus said it the marker of a follower of jesus is for the rich young ruler was hey your wealth is in the way of you following jesus it's got to go buddy it's got to go for the woman at the well your shame, your shame is in the way of you following the Lord Jesus. You're ashamed of what you've done. But there is forgiveness in Christ. You've got to let that go. And you've got to go open your mouth and say the words. Come meet this man. For Nicodemus, we see it as pride, right? There was a pride in Nicodemus. 
He had status. He had position. And it would cost him a lot to step out of that role into this other role. But by the time he gets to the end, he's there, guys. Gloriously, he's there. Probably spending his money to bring what was needed to bury the body of Jesus. And surprise, surprise, surprise. (laughs) Jesus comes back from the grave. And we have every confidence that Nicodemus continued to follow the Lord. Continued to walk with Jesus. The marker of the follower of Jesus is... Maybe you ask the question or you answer the question, Jesus has marked me out. How? I don't know. You know, though. That's the beautiful thing about this. Because I don't follow the Lord for you. And you don't follow the Lord for me. We all follow the Lord on our own, but we do it together. Right? It's the whole church, but God always counts by ones. Don't forget that. He always counts by ones. And you matter to Him. You matter to Him. I want you to really consider the marks in your body. You see the image, right? Hopefully hopefully we've got it clear. We're not talking about physical things. We're talking about inward things that represent outward things. It's an inside-out reality. And I hope you've been marked and shaped and changed by your encounters. Not one. Many encounters with the Lord Jesus. I'll pray for you. Father God, we thank you for the testimony of the, the saints of old, all of these believers in the early church who followed you, uh, who gave up so much to proclaim your word, to walk in your truth, to teach us, God. And we pray that we have a same kind of, a similar trajectory, God, in our life, that our story is shaped by our encounter with Christ and our submission to Him and that we resonate and say with Paul, I am crucified with Christ. I have died to an old way and I am alive to you, God, in this new way, the way of Jesus. God, work in our hearts, work in our thoughts, work in our actions. God, shape our very lives to follow Jesus Christ. We say this in His name. And all God's people said, Amen. We're going to stand to worship the Lord together. And if there's something in this that stirs you, come talk with me. Come talk with Blake after. We want to help you walk with the Lord. Let's worship together. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.